Welcome to Live from Plato's Cave. I am Mario Veen. This is episode 27. Michel shares philosophy with Aldo Houtermann. Show me your interpretation of the cave allegory and I will tell you what your philosophical perspective is. Today we will discuss the philosophy of Michel Serre, a French philosopher who passed away in 2019. In Serre's version of the allegory there is not one sun but many stars, and the people in the cave do not want to leave it but marvel at its beauty. Serre was, among other things, a mountaineer, a rugby player, a mathematician, a teacher, and an interdisciplinary philosopher. He philosophized on many topics ranging from sports and social media to ecology and education. It's telling that the dedication of his book Variations on the Body reads as follows. To my gym teachers, my trainers and mountain guides who taught me how to think. Our mountain guide today through Plato's allegory of the cave and the philosophy of Michel Serre is Aldo Houtermann. Aldo teaches medical ethics and philosophy at the Amsterdam University Medical Center and is doing his PhD at the Esprit Center for Sports, Integrity and Transition at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. His book We Are Our Body is about the meaning of the body, sports and movement for human existence. His area of research is the philosophy of the body. How is the body regarded in sports, in healthcare or in science? Which body images prevail in top sports and which ideas about the body are sustainable? In his research, Aldo uses the interdisciplinary philosophy of Michel Serre. Aldo is also an avid cyclist and a member of the ethical committee of the Cyclist Union in the Netherlands. So, <laughs> here we are. Hi. Hi. We, we were speaking a little bit before about how to start. Yeah. Right, which <laughs> with uh, Michel Serre is, is a kind of a difficult question. Yeah, but maybe we can start with where we are. Can you describe where we are right now, where we are sitting? Yeah, we are in uh, Rotterdam, so near the central station, in the uh, Dauwe Egberts Cafe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's in a sort of aquarium, uh, sort of a fish tank. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're in a fish tank yeah. in, in a cafe because, yeah, yeah we were looking for uh, a public space because now I, I have the possibility to do these live uh, instead of via Zoom, which is really good. Um, but that means, well, I prefer actually to look for a public space, but that's quite difficult in, in our society. And I think this is great because it's, uh, yeah, it's like a, they call it a meeting room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to make a reservation, but I couldn't do it through the website. I had to go to the bar. And uh, so we have the space for, for about two hours, but it's a glass space. So like we see these people like they're, they're looking very serious, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're on their laptops and everything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, would, would Michel Serre have anything to say about this? Yeah, more like so the people working on the laptop yeah. and uh, busy with their mobile phones. So that is a, that yeah. is an important uh, theme in this work. So how to think of the network generation and the network society. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and yeah, so 
in this in this sense he's also very yeah uh, so most philosophers are very skeptical about this so that it leads to individuali- uh, individualization mm-hmm. towards uh, atomization uh, towards not re- having real contact with the world anymore uh, so I'm also bit of sympathetic to this, these ideas, but uh, I found Michel Serre a sort of counterbalance. So uh, Serre uh, is really hopeful about these uh, yeah, developments. So that is that is why I find it interesting. So not uh, so I I wouldn't say he is right in this case, but but his. Um, yeah, his philosophy gives gives a sort of other perspective on how to think about this, and maybe we can pick some things out of this philosophy that we can use for yeah, yeah, uh, for thinking so, uh, thinking of society, societal trends. Yeah, and I guess also thinking about society now, right? Because there's yeah, right now a particular configuration of actually the situation we're in right now. We're recording a podcast. Yeah. Uh, you you have your laptop there. Uh, I just joined uh, Mastodon today. <laughs> we connected right. yeah. there. Yeah, um, and uh, people are working here. And but so basically this is a shared space. But people are in their kind of their own bubble. But it's not a vacuum bubble. There's. Yeah, we can hear. I can hear the music from. I don't know if people listening yeah. to that here, but I hear some music from the cafe, uh, and that's kind of like uh, in Dutch we would say gezellig too, yeah. right? Yeah. So we. Uh, so one thing, a term that comes up with the philosophy of Michel Serre is also noise, noises, yeah. and rumors. So that is an important philosophical concept of uh, of his in, in, in throughout his whole work, uh, beginning in the 1960s but also for thinking about uh, late societal trends. So how should we deal with rumors and, uh, and noises everywhere? And how, are, how are, can we filter these? And how should we fil- filter these rumors? And, and how to make sort of music out of, these, out of this noise? Mm-hmm. And uh, Sarah is also a very musical thinker, so he, he wanted to be... A, he wanted to be a mu- musician at, uh, at the beginning, uh, but but he wasn't talented enough. Um, so there's also so in a lot in his work are a lot of reflections on music and but not music as a sort of stylistic cultural thing, but like so music that you can find everywhere. So for example, in in forests, for example, the, the noises that you hear there, yeah. or when you are uh, in the in the mountain or. In, uh, and also the noises that you hear at sea, uh, for example, from the, the waves. Uh, and also noises that you hear in a cafe and that you hear in a classroom when you, uh, as a teacher, uh, hear these noises of the, of the chairs and of the, of the students chatting to, uh, to each other. So, and he is, tr- yeah, uh, his aim is to to discover some music in these uh, all, all these kind of new noises, uh, yeah, and that, that there and the idea is then, so the internet generation or the the mobilized society is not something that in which individualization is important, but also uh, the noises that we make towards uh, each other. So we are communicating through these noises. 
And sometimes it can be really horrifying. We can be horrified by noise. So, for example, by car noise or, or uh, motor, yeah, some motor engines making noise, and then we want to get away. Yeah. But, but to some noises, we are also open, so that, that, that gather our interest, gather our attention. Yeah, there's noise everywhere, so how, yeah, how should we relate to them? How should we filter the, all these noises? That, that is an important theme, and it is also um, typical of the network society, so, uh, so he says. So we become more and more listeners as opposed to viewers, uh, for example. Yeah, it reminds me of two episodes ago, I was speaking with Mike Huiskus about conversation analysis. And one of the steps that, that Harvey Sachs did, who, who started the conversation analysis, he started to... Um, so people were studying language, but they were studying like formalized language, like, could you pass me the hammer or something like that. But that's not how people speak in general. But at the time, sociologists and other social scientists, they didn't want to study that, let alone philosophers, because they said, well, that's too chaotic, too noise. But his kind of premise was... It was about what do we regard as data in, in our research. His premise was there is order at all levels. So I know personally I speak a lot like um, um, um. Yeah. But there's even a pattern to when you say um, to how yeah. people interrupt yeah. to all the all mm. the things like that. And, mm. and so I guess someone at sea, the noise of the sea, if you're a sailor, you are able also to distinguish, yeah. uh, oh, the, the sea is friendly today yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And it also links to Sarah as well. Mm. So that's, so what can be noises for one can be can be music for uh, for for other uh, for others, uh, and also also depending on your emotional state, for example. Yeah? So then you would not uh, love to hear music that you normally listen to. Uh, and what Sarah is also saying is that yeah, so uh, um, not only yeah human like persons speak language or make noise but uh, but that is what nature does in, f in fact so so long before there was human language there were already volcanoes uh, oceans making noise for example and birds for example uh, so he really tries to integrate these natural phenomena uh, so pre-human phenomena into his philosophy and this also gives uh, him the tools to also think about technology, I would say. So that is, right, we can, we can think of technology as uh, something that is, uh, yeah, that is, that comes with culture, that comes with human culture. But also this um, dependence on noises and the, and the ability or the, and so for example, uh, machines also make make noise for example yeah? and also the the phones and the laptops make signals right? and signals and noises yeah? so not just the auditory noise but no. also the radiation yes yeah the yeah electromagnetic radiation yeah so then the noise becomes a more like a model so it's not yeah doesn't need to be auditory but can also be uh yeah so frills, for example, yeah. and shake, uh, shakes, for vibrations. example, yeah, vibrations, yeah, yeah. So that somehow our body translates this into signals for danger, for example, or for, yeah, yeah, yeah so for, for attention, yeah. 
Well, this already clarifies something for me about Sarah because I confess to you already that I, I didn't read anything by him. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of also a new thing for a podcast because usually I try to read a lot and <laughs> I thought, yeah. okay, what if I don't read? And I just try to find out from you kind yeah. of an introduction to Sarah. Um, and so usually you, okay, go to the Wikipedia and all that. Yeah. With most philosophers, you get kind of an idea about what well, this is kind of their approach. Yeah. But with Sarah, not so much. But if you say that that for him noise is so important and you start with noise and you start, well, if noise is interesting to you, then everything is interesting huh. to you. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. explains like uh, what I what my, well, I give, can give you my impression, which is that he is interested. We should say he was because he passed away in, in 2019. Yes. Yeah. Um, very recent. And he's interested in understanding the world and the world as it comes to you as it kind of presents itself to you so rather than sitting in a room and thinking about i want to understand the i don't know the ethics of climate change or whatever i i picked so i don't really know him but so you have to tell me yeah. if wrong. i picture him just walking on the street and noticing that people are using smartphones and then thinking about that and then connecting it with other things and then writing a book about that yeah yeah so what i really liked about yeah so that's a that's uh, <laughs> good that you picked it up i think this is also an important theme and so there's a lot of other themes than noise in his work uh, but so one thing I would say what he tries to develop throughout his whole work is a sort of um, uh, notion that um, that he sometimes described as global intuition. So this is also a bit of contradictory. So we think of intuition as something uh, that is subjective, right? And uh, and and so there's also the global in into this. Um, so rather than developing knowledge as a sort of uh, yeah, standard idea of what is philosophy's uh, knowledge or wisdom. He uh, has this idea of, so I'm not, so my philosophy is not about being right, but mm. about developing an in intuition. Right. Uh, so what, what is that? What, uh, what can we f say about intuition? So in his notebooks, which are uh, published, which were published a couple of months ago, on one page he, he writes something like, I'd like to philosophize as a tennis player. Uh, so it's like attentive, inventive, alert, wakeful. <laughs> so his philosophy is about reaching toward new intuitions. So the world is changing and also our wisdom or our intu intuition about the world should be, should be changing. So uh, the, uh, the interesting idea about intuition, I think it's that it's more... Uh, it's more corporal, so it's more about yeah. So there's something that you do with your whole body. So yeah. it, it doesn't need to be academic. Uh, so that's why I'm also interested in sports, for example. How, uh, yeah, what kind of intuitions do athletes have, for example? But you can also think about uh, uh, yeah, uh, is, uh, so about doctors, for example. Um, so what what kind of intuitions do they have? And it's, yeah, it's about sens sensitivity and sens sensibility more than, uh, yeah, yeah, so the intellectualist tradition, uh, so that, yeah, that, or the cognitive, uh, cognitivist tradition that, 
that knowledge or wisdom resides in our head. So uh, then example, a doctor yeah. would have different knowledge and an and athlete would have different knowledge yeah. and also a different body maybe. Yeah. So do doctors kind of live in a different world than athletes? Uh, I mean generalizing. They, they perceive, they have a different intuition about, do they perceive the world differently? Um, yeah. Yeah, so so this is also a bit of phenomenological insight, so that you, so uh, yeah, you get skilled to a, a certain world. Yeah? So yeah. yeah, you have this idea of the the uh, the banker that has uh, yeah that is skilled into the the banking world, for example, or the the athletes. Uh, but I think so. So this would be a distinction between worlds. And what Sarah's aiming at, and this is, is that, so what is the overlap between those worlds? So for yeah. example, how can... The athlete has yeah. an injury and, and goes to visit the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, what can an athlete learn to a philosopher about, about um, yeah, how the world is structured? Yeah, uh, or what is knowledge, for example? So that is, yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, um, so the idea is that, uh, yeah, all these, yeah, so so to say, bodies, uh, um, and that is what what uh, what also his ideal is that that they are somehow at a certain level also harmonized to each other. Um, or how should we think of a harmonization between all those uh, um, yeah, different ideas, different practices? Yeah. Uh, how can they be about? How can they be about a about a global so society, for example? So one one way to think about this is uh, is about this noise, right? So they they all relate to a certain way to a, yeah. So they filter noise through. Through signals, they, they all signals. hear the same noise, but they have different yeah. signals. Yeah, they have different ways of from cultural understanding yeah. these noises, for example. Yeah, and they, but they all hear the same. Yeah, so they are, uh, they relate. So they are translating noise into signals. Right. Yeah. So this is one. Yeah, this is a very general structure of thinking that these, and it's not only people. So, for, but also. Um, laptops, for example, mm -hmm. so they they select select data yeah. uh, that they show us on the screen, for example, so that that they yeah that the program is uh, that the program projects to us yeah so what is what a laptop and and a mobile phone uh, is doing is that it um, receives information it it, tr uh, it translates it and it emits it to us yeah and that is the same thing is that w what we are doing as well so we receive noises information mm -hmm. and uh, somehow yeah so just by thinking for example but also by gesturing by using our body we uh, we translate this information and we send uh, send this to the world uh, uh, to the world again and 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 also that is also what what planets are doing, for example, or rivers, for example, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, trees. Uh, so so what he what he's aiming at is developing an object object philosophy. So all things are rather objects instead of subjects. So the phenomenological or the Kantian tradition. So 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 that philosophy f philosophy should be 
should be developed to uh, to understanding consciousness or subjectivity is uh, yeah surrounded by objects yeah but Serre is more like so he's not giving up subjectivity so it is very important so what I said about global intuition right so that is that can be very subjective so mm-hmm. that is that is um, dependent on the person who you are so what kind of global intuition you have but as a sort of philosophy he tries to say all right so we should think the subject subjectivity as a communication between objects so how do we commute to other people to the to uh, technology uh, and to the to nature for example yeah mm. yeah fascinating yeah i just <laughs> noticed how i'm i'm listening to you i'm making connections between some you know some other philosophers i know but also my own experience and uh, uh, I'm going to take some time to take yeah. a coffee <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and sure. I think about what you do. You, can I get you anything? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm fine. Thank okay. you. Okay, I have my coffee. Um, I was thinking while waiting for my coffee that So, first of all, he sounds like an interdisciplinary philosopher, which I'm very interested in. I had so many thoughts about what you said, because there's so much in there already. So I had a question. I also have, I can give you my own answer, but um, my question is, so if you are interested in in so many different things, so you're not specialized in, let's say, astrophysics or something like that, um, how do you keep everything together rather than just which I guess is more multidisciplinary. Is yeah. Multidisciplinary is maybe uh-huh. you're a doctor, but you're also an athlete. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's what you do in your free time. Yeah. And then you go to work and then you're a doctor. But when you're on your bike, you're not a doctor. And um, this is also, yeah, kind of the reason behind starting this podcast and tying it to Plato's Allegory of the Cave, because I think you do need a kind of a, 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 a framework yeah but this framework again like the bubble we just talked about it it has to be kind of flexible you have to be able to move it around and but at the same time it has to kind of resist as well because then you get a dialogue so that's mm-hmm. why yeah i guess the, the next question is how would uh, sarah read plato's allegory of the cave because that's something that we've discussed already for i don't know almost 30 episodes yeah and that's kind of a way that if if yeah you give me your answer because yeah. of course it's you're not Michel Serre but you're also we can get to that later you're yeah. also using him in a way yeah all right so interesting so yeah a lot to to be said about interdisciplinarity but maybe let's first delve into the cave and then we can think about then we uh, can so yeah so, so we, we have establish kind of a framework yeah. Yeah. then we have an idea okay this is yeah. his way of um, yeah interpreting the cave yeah. Yeah. And then we can move on from there. Yeah, so it, it's actually very <laughs> funny that that your podcast is about the cave because he has at certain places in his work he has reactions to this thinking of Plato. Okay. Yeah, and also about the cave, the cave metaphor. So what he so what he does actually uh, so one of the most striking responses to this is his um, is his counter example uh, and this is has he owes from the 
work of Gilles Verne. So he, yeah, so these adventure and science fiction writers. And so he, uh, Gilles Verne has a book. Uh, it's it's in in English. It's the vanished Di- diamond. So I haven't read it. I only re- know it from from Sarah. But um, so and there you have two men, uh, Victor and Faramon, and they are so they are lower. So they are miners, I think. But uh, they are lowered into an into an underground cavern. So what they discover there. So it's not. So what they see is not the sun, so uh, so so or the shades, um, as in Plato's uh, cave. Um, but what they discover there, because they have lights, so that the, and also that the ground is covered with all kinds of glows of diamonds, for example. So these are rubies, emeralds, uh, yeah, all kind of kinds of colors, all kinds of stones, right? So there's very fine grade actually the cave. Um, and so the re- light is not only coming so from outside, but it is the light is reflecting through the diamonds and uh, yeah, yeah, minerals, yeah, and it's flashing back all the colors of the rainbow actually, yeah. Um, so what they see is also sort of showers of brilliancy, for example. Yeah, so uh, and thousands of prisms that they discover there. So all kinds of sort of lights, colors, shades within that cave. Uh, so it's an actually it's a, they find it an astonishing combination of light and color what they find in that cave. So not not something that they want to leave for uh, for example. So this is a sort of kind of counter example of Ser. So what what he tries to do is also f- yeah relating his philosophy to this Jules Verne example instead of uh, so the and um, and um, yeah a bit of. Uh, uh, um, yeah, setting it against Plato's philosophy, yeah, uh, or or about a way of thinking about philo- what you, what philosophy should do. So what's yeah, so it's not about his philosophy, but, but developing a what, sort of what philosophy. What's the job of philosophy? Yeah. yeah. So what uh, what are other ways to think about what philosophy should should do? Um, so for example, now we can we can discuss a couple of differences of the Plato's cave and the Gilles Verne's cave. So one of them would be that uh, in Plato's story, the cave is something that holds us captive, right? So that is uh, so we should get out of the cave. Um, and so Verne is more positive in that sense about that cave, so that it is so yeah the the. Two men are yeah, so they are sort of lo- lost into that cave. Yeah, uh, so like a star. So rather star- than being taken out of the cave, yeah. they're lowered into it. Uh, so it's like when you see a starry sky, for example, yeah. at night. So then you're you're amazed by that. Yeah. yeah. So so it's not something that you want to leave. So so it's it tells you something about yeah how things work. Yeah, and then there are a lot of different colors, a lot of different stars. Yeah, but but so far because the the prisoners in Plato's cave they don't want to leave either yeah. because yeah. they don't even yeah. when someone wants to you know yeah. that he has to be dragged up kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But Plato's message then would be, yeah, he should. They should be because they're yeah, not aware. Yeah. They're not aware of the uh, life at the yeah. surface. But this in Schuverne, they are aware yeah. of the life of the surface, and they find the cave more beautiful. Yeah. Maybe yeah, more beautiful, more interesting, mm. more diffracted. Yeah. 
Um, and so, and also another difference is then that, so the Plato's philosophy is then about the single sun, right? The glory of that right. single yeah. sun. Yeah, that uh, so there's one kind of truth, or uh, so that we uh, that everyone should learn, for uh, for example, and we should leave all the. Uh, yeah, so we should leave the cave behind us. So that is his message. And um, so in Verna's cave, then you have, yeah, like a not one single sun, but yet like a thousand uh, glimmers, nocturnal glimmers, for example. So there are a lot of things that can teach us about the world. So there are not not there's not one single truth, right? So that is there are a lot of ways of. So this is also linking to your interdisciplinarity. So there's a lot of ways of uh, gathering knowledge or yeah, re- being receptive. Uh, yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, um, uh, that uh, yeah that teaches something about the world. Yeah, so that 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 gives us knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, in Plato, so there's one, it's about one person that gets freed and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, who finds the sun, right? Mm-hmm. So there's one person, yeah, so, uh, so that's, it's a bit of uh, a message to, so that knowledge is something that you, so as a person, uh, should, should strive for, mm-hmm. yeah? Uh, and here, the, the, in Verna's cave, that's uh, interesting that there are two voy- voyagers, right? Uh-huh, so okay. they, they're twin lights, yeah, so they multiply the reflections of the cave. Yeah. Right. So there's also some... So they, some can share, they can share as well, they yeah. can speak about it. Yeah, yeah. there's communication yeah. about knowledge. So there's a communication about the cave. And they, they t- together, yeah, to people together yeah. gather knowledge. Yeah, so, and also the, the role of the shadows is very important. So, for example, the sun in Plato, the central sun is driving, uh, is driving us his away from the, uh, yeah, so the, uh, the yeah, the, the central sun is driving us away from the shadows that, that we can find in the cave. Mm-hmm. But actually in Serre and also in Verne, so that we need shadows and diffractions of lights to see, so th- so only the sun would blind us. Yeah, so that yeah. is that is an. Uh, That's one of the most fascinating aspects of the cave. Is yeah. as Mika Ball said, it, yeah. I think in episode three, is All that right, yeah. you can't look. So in the allegory, he looks directly at the sun. Yeah. But if you do that, you go blind. Yes. And absolutely. and um, yeah, my my own idea about is that because uh, vision is such a theme in being blinded by the light so in the beginning he's blinded by the light he cannot see after a while he starts to see him more and more yeah um so i don't believe that plato put that in by mistake because everything until that point in the cave is about eyes and being being uh you know sensitive to the light and then he he described something so far you can you can connect the cave to what you could do in real life. I mean, you could imagine, okay, if I was locked in, up in a cave and oh, I would look at the fire, it would blind me, but then I would go out on the surface, it would be even more blinding, but after maybe a few days, I would see the stars. At, so there he does see the stars, but first he sees the stars at night. But then uh, after his eyes get more, he can look during the day, then he sees the sun. Yeah. So the, the stars are in there, but they're not 
Yeah. So right. then he sees the sun. Yeah. And then he can look at the sun. So he's saying something. At that point, the the allegory is also showing its own limits. Yeah. I think. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> something interesting. And yeah. I, I yeah. think Plato. Yeah. Put that in there as yeah. a way to show well the allegory is not the whole. Yeah. Way it's not the whole way of understanding. No, I think it, so. This allegory is yeah. If you propose it as a sort of model of knowledge. Yeah, so uh, so how to gather knowledge, right? Right, but yeah. I don't, I don't, I think yeah. that you you have the Platonists who yeah. interpreted Plato, yeah. but I don't think that I just, just this is just my personal uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing of looking at it is that I see Plato mainly as a, well a teacher and a writer, uh, and and people after him have tried to kind of make a, this philosophical system, which yeah. then was hugely influential in the history of philosophy and then later philosophers responded not so much to Plato's text except maybe uh, Serre and Heidegger and and some other people who go back really to the text Uh but they respond to the interpretations of this allegory speaking speaking of noise (laughs) yeah so it's yeah what I already said also it's about more like a it's not about the text itself right so it's like yeah. a platonic model of knowledge so yeah so uh, so uh, yeah how how this how this gives an idea of what what knowledge of the world mm-hmm. is about and and uh, what we learn over and over again so we should for example when we this is also a sort of educational uh, message also in the, so we should blind be blinded before we can learn for example so the, yeah. the, the learning is painful for example so that is also yeah also some some messages that that are in in there and and also that the world of uh, sensation sensitivity and our the bodily world is actually yeah. is more is uh, is something we should not strive for. So it's it's like the world of the soul or the world of the mind that is m- the world of the brain that is more important. Uh, yeah. So th- this is what Sarah is, cri- is, is criticizing. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then, so in my understanding, that would be more a critique uh, uh, of Platonism. Yeah. Because if you, for instance, Plato says that when the prisoner stands up and he turns around. He says it's uh, he must turn the whole body. So it's not enough to just turn the head, yeah. but you have to turn yeah, the whole yeah, body. Yeah, 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 beautiful. Um, yeah. And, and the whole thing is about instead of like he sees things, he, he is in pain, he's struggling. Yeah. It's all these like physical sensations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is that something that would be more aligned with with um, Sarah, like the, the physical part of it? Or would would he emphasize that more? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So he has, has a couple of books also about, uh, yeah, so about embodiment and uh, and sens- uh, sensitivity. Yeah. Uh, so um, and that is also what links up to the tennis player uh, on beforehand. Um, but about that cave, so I think the most important message, so that Sarah wants to establish with this uh, example of uh, of Jules Verne's novel, is that. Right, so there's not one central light. So that that is, so he has uh, uh, multiple places. He that, that that's an, a theme in this work. So we shouldn't think of the world or the universe as organized around the center. 
uh, wha wha whether it's being the subject or consciousness or the sun, for example, or the, the earth in, uh, in Aristotelian um, astro uh, astrology. So, yeah, that's... So we shouldn't think about, so this is the center and, and this, there's the p periphery. So in Serre's philosophy, everything is sort of a, is, is a sort of a center. Depending on the moment yes. or your focus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so he has this, in one of his books, his more, most clear examples is that, uh, so he was a rugby player. Um, and then uh, he explains his theory and that is, as the of uh, so he is, uh, explains his uh, theory of the so uh, an important concept is the quasi quasi object mm. so that is that um, that is an object that guides people's behavior for example and this is also taken up by people like Latour for example mm -hmm. so that uh, yeah and and what he uh, so this. Uh, so this uh, example is about uh, rugby and of football, that the ball is guiding the movements of the players, right? So, so to be a football player then is is actually be at attentive to the ball. Yeah. So to be so be a subject is then to be subjected to the ball, right? So it's not uh, self imminent subject yeah, so that that's like autonomous like kantian subject yes. autonomous making your own like uh, considering different possibilities and but if you're a rugby player yeah you can consider your possibilities but the ball is there so you have to move there yeah exactly so you have this also in phenomenology so that the subject is sort of grounding the world right so that the, the and um but here, so Sarah's example is that, so here the ball is really the subject. And, uh, so quasi-object yeah. means that it's, it's an object, but also a subject. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's an object that doesn't want to be an object. So, so we think as object as something that we can man uh, manipulate, that we can determine, that we can, its behavior of, of its objects should be foreseeable for us. But that's, that's, something that Sarah says is that nature is never that way so it's objects produce noises produce shadows for example so they are not fully transparent and also they remain yeah they, they remain a bit of uh, also a bit out of human control for example for example the ball which is uh, which is fabri fabricated but which is never foreseeable what I, what it does yeah. I just I'm just getting this strong image so we have to rewind a little bit, like what a week or something, just after the Dutch uh, yeah. lost lost yeah, the yeah, game yes, with yeah. the penalties. Yeah, and um, so if, uh, just the context. If people listen to this in fifty years, so uh, the idea was that so there, it was like two two uh, Argentina Holland, yeah. and there were uh, I don't know these uh, verlenging yeah, uh, football yeah. terms. Like <laughs> so, they had to play longer, and then. Uh, what people said is that Van Gaal, the Dutch coach, uh -huh. he, they were actually quite good at the end of the, the regular play time. Yeah. But he said he told them to dial back a little bit, like instead of like putting all their energy in trying to score in the in the verlenging, yeah. Yeah. because he wanted to do the penalties. Yeah. 
But why? Because he had this devised this whole system of how the Dutch finally are going yeah. to win the penalty. Yeah. So I was I just had this image that because they many people gave their opinion on it. I was wondering if they would have asked you for commentary yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. on the yeah that that aspect. <laughs> yeah. So I, th I think so. That's that's the uh, so Sarah has also some comments ab about sports and, yeah. and so so one of his ideas is that it gives us so uh, espe especially modern f football gives us the idea that that it is manageable uh, right so that is that is foreseeable uh, um, yeah how to play how we should play for example and and also coaches give us these impressions so for example Van Gaal. And um, but so he's really much against this. So so um, sp uh, sporting is teaches teaches us something something very 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 different, namely that that yeah the world is uh, is not de is not deterministic, for example. So it's more like chaotic. And so how sh should we deal with this chaotic world? So that is all. Uh, every time that's different every time um, so yeah so we have this idea and that is also um, yeah what you not only see in sports but, but also for example in in uh, yeah economic ideas so that uh, or so for example in surveillance capitalism for example so yeah. that yeah, there's also in, in the books of Harari that that the behavior of people is somehow manageable right so that's somehow predictable yeah and and and, and of course for in some sense it, it is that way uh, but but this is also according to Ser, this is this is this these ideas are based on a sort of deterministic worldview and and um, yeah which which was really uh, um, Prominent in this, uh, yeah. So in modern, yeah, early modern society, early modern societies, right? So that uh, the world, world, uh, world uh, is uh, constituted like a clockwork, for yeah. example. And yeah. You just have to find this organizing yes. principle, this yeah. central sun, yeah. and once you find this central sun, then yeah. you everything else makes yes. sense to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so, so. Uh, Delving to share a bit more is that it's also really opening up for this, um, yeah, unpredictability of the world, and and so also about yeah, this global intuition mm -hmm. is not about getting it right about the future, but being sensitive or being open to more futures that are that are right. uh, can can come. So this is a really interesting alternative. So for example, to these ideas from uh, Silicon Valley right? so that, that that should predict uh, yeah that are so we in the future we got we are going to another planet for example and then we all uh, behave like this and uh, so and so there's only one it's right, a close so future new, so it's one planet, scenario yeah, yeah uh, that's yeah maybe yeah if we all believe in that and if we all believe those stories yeah then we <laughs> then it would be a probable uh, probable s scenario 
but it's really so this global intuition is about more so he has also yeah that, this is interesting so he's a, in, uh, this sporting example from the goalkeeper that is uh, he was a goalkeeper himself in in his youth and that sure. is yeah okay. yeah and he was a rugby player yeah yeah and the goal, goalkeeper and the mountaineer yeah uh, yeah, yeah and um, so what so the goalkeeper is waiting for uh, a free kick uh, and so a free kick from the from the other team yeah. and so what he is uh, um, what he says about the goalkeeper is that what the goalkeeper should do is is try to be sensitive to multiple kicks right so so this can be in the left corner or yeah. in the right above corner or just so the, fu yeah. the future uh, could be it's not determined yet but it yeah. could be multiple possibilities yes yeah. so so this so the goalkeeper is one yeah one note so to yeah. say one star in the middle of m multiple stars right so we yeah. should be be attentive uh, to more futures to more directions uh, and this is also yeah this links to his idea so there's not one central yeah. uh, truth for example but it's more like opening up the yeah the lineages the threads between multiple yeah, yeah. Um, domains of thought so to so, so to say so, yeah. so just to stay with this example because i really like this this is really my so my own background is in cultural analysis from uh, uh, also Mika Ball, where uh, she always says as well for your analysis, and we can speak maybe about what is analysis later. But you need uh, an object, that object speaks back to you. So you can kind. So this is another way we we use now like the penalties uh, situation in in soccer, because it's kind of this object that people who are listening to this they can imagine this. And we can speak about it, and, and in this way we can learn about uh, Serge's philosophy. So, um, so again, some of the comments on, on the World Cup, uh, the last Dutch game with Argentina, about penalties is that either you control it, so what they did, they, they, they had this plan of intimidating players, yes, and, and yeah. the, they had this whole strategy, which obviously didn't work, or it's a lottery. So yeah. it's 50-50. Yeah. So it's like it seems like this dichotomy. Either yeah. uh, penalties is, uh, is something you can control or it's you don't have any influence. Yeah. Uh, so is there for Sarah, it seems like he there's kind of a middle way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, I would say in, so in the modern World Cup, so the nowadays, yeah, it's uh, it's very difficult to to uh, refrain from this per uh, perspective that that you can control yeah so uh, so that you can know in in what corner the 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 penalty shooter will be will yeah. be shooting so that we so in order to win it, it might be needed to to know yeah, so that is also the the, the you study uh, yeah the yeah side, uh, the statistical yeah, probability yes, that yes, Messi yeah, always yeah. Uh, chooses the yeah game. so and if this is the case then then Sarah's question would be if this is still if if we can still disregard this as a sport right so that the uh, yeah so um, but also yeah so if we if we um, pick up on this this way of thinking about the World Cup. Um, there are also, so, yeah, af afterwards, it can be, yeah, it, it makes really perfect sense why Argentina 
won the World Cup, but but on beforehand it it it, it doesn't it yeah. doesn't make uh, sense. For example, before when they were playing to the Netherlands, they were not considered as to be that great. Okay, so they had they had Messi, but yeah. yeah. So there are so we should also be open to a lot of un- unpredictable things in the in this uh, in this f- football game, and they can teach us about yeah how we should yeah uh yeah how to deal with unpredictability so also football players Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of passes unforeseen uh red cards for example and yeah uh, noises from the stadium that are really important in uh in describing the development of the game uh, that after all it was all necessary, but but yeah, Sarah's uh, uh, yeah, Sarah, uh, interpretation would then also be that we should look also also look for the chaotic elements, for the for the noisy elements, right? So uh, that are uh, yeah that are not predictable, uh, but also yeah, uh, and how yeah. But but they are always there. So there there's not so yeah. So entropy, for example, or um, noise is always there. So it's not uh, so. So if we think it's de- deterministic, it's becoming more and more deterministic. I would I would argue for. <laughs> for so, uh, uh, so you can rank the most. I don't know if if you said it or someone else, but if you want to know who wins. Did not uh, not uh, uh, not the international, but I don't know anything about yes, football. Yeah. But like the Champions League, yeah. you just have to list yeah. who has the most money. Yes, and, and then you then can pretty much predict who's going yeah, to. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a development. That's a very pessimistic. He's very pessimistic about this development, and and also so that so more or less that uh, that uh, market value determines the value of the player, for example, right? So that yeah. So then you're making it deterministic, and you you only want to hear this this deterministic language about football. Um, yeah. So yeah. if this is an example of what sports should not be like, yeah. what would what should it be like? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question, and that is actually what what I'm. Yeah, what my research is about. So how can we think about sports for the future? So that is not. Um, yeah, guided by financial interests, for <laughs> for example. Uh, also, not about that. That's one of the things that yeah. uh, the football players, when they're interviewed, say is that once you play in this league, yeah. uh, all the fun goes away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not even about winning or losing, but it's also you have to play like uh, like beautiful football and. Yeah. Um, so this, so we have to take this money out of the equation if yeah. you want to do real uh, sport. Yeah, but it's not only money. So there are also a lot of uh, ideas about how should how sport should be. So for example, that it should promote our health, for example, right? Yeah. So and then it's more like instrument uh, instrumentalistically. So for the example, the government or is interested in in this. So to lower the the hospital costs, for yeah. example, so that we should all, uh, yeah, uh, move and uh, so uh, so to live longer, for example. So this is also, a, yeah, this is also a bit of idea about sports. So how 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 sh- like we should be like hamsters, uh, like going to the fitness, so that we're yeah. we have enough energy to yeah. go to our jobs. And yeah, and so then what is really is also it's a bit of comport, uh, yeah, so a bit of. 
instrumentalizing sports for yeah. something else, for health, for, uh, or for money, then, uh, or for... So you have older ideas about sports that it should be about building a character, for example, mm-hmm. or to, yeah... Uh, to know pain. That's a very yeah. Greek idea too, yeah. right? Like the athlete as as this like all-round human being. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Sarah's an- analysis is that because of these ideas, these are we are a bit struck uh, in in uh, our thinking way of thinking about sports, and that and therefore sports is becoming more and more un- un- unhealthy to him. That we we read this also in interviews with athletes, with former athletes, for example, that that they uh, yeah they should be egoistic to to uh, um, for a certain per- performance for the uh, for yeah to win the gold medal for example yeah, yeah and um, there's only one winner maybe this also relates to this one organizing principle is like the best yes who, who is the best yes so it's it's about uh, it's only the yeah so only the winner yes our sport should be about winning for example so only the winner makes sense yeah and then you have some beautiful examples so uh, beautiful um uh, quotes from Sarah as well, so so that that's the the loser is actually the most important. So the most people are losers. So yeah. there's only one winner. Yeah, so we should think about how how can we beautifully lose, for example, right? So that is a, that that would be, <laughs> and also so the idea is that so we talked about football is that that it's that our dinosaurs, so global companies are taking up these sports. Yeah, so it's, it's these are yeah, sports are becoming dinosaurs for example but they will be extinct uh, for <laughs> for Sarah so so he's really interested in what what's s- small sports uh, so like mosquitoes are popping up right so that uh, that are yeah are dev- are um, developing nowadays in yeah in multiple cultures would you would yeah. you consider uh, like gaming a sport like uh, e- e-games it's it's I yeah. guess it's one of the biggest sports in the world that yeah. most people, maybe people listening to this, are not even aware of. But yeah. it's really big. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good question. But yeah, I have my doubts about this. So one, yeah, there are one. I think two criti- uh, critis- uh, criticism on esports can be. <laughs> so so it's one is that is also surveillance capitalism. So that that w- what the game developers try try to do is right. uh, yeah develop an algorithm yeah. that co- yeah that lets people more uh, yeah even more game and uh, yeah so that. Uh, they should, yeah, yeah, so capture yeah. attention. So there's a lot of addiction. Uh, so the, that's the danger for uh, for this, and 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 it's not only certain people, but a lot of people are addicted to. The so they're the winners this. are the ones that make money playing this, and and most people are like the addicts. Yeah, yeah, that are the yeah, losers. absolutely. So the winners are the big companies, the game developing uh, companies. Right. Yeah. Uh, so not uh, the the one who's first on the list, but uh, actually who gains the most money with, with by selling those uh, games. Yeah. 
And, uh, and another uh, criticism that you can have from a Sergian's pers uh, perspective would be about um, about the role of the body in uh, esports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of these ideas is that the the body has multiple layers, but he al always uh, directs his attention to the sensitivity. So, uh, for example, with listening that we already talked about, with seeing, but also with smelling and and feeling. So that, and it's not something that the body does for Sarah, but it's something that the body actually is as an information processor. Yeah, so, um, um, so by seeing or by hearing, we create a sort of body, right? So our brain is developing, for, for example. So it's not something that a, f a certain function of our body, but by yeah, getting in contact to the world, for example, then... Uh, also, our body grows with uh, with that. So that is, you can see, evolutionary is also, yeah, in evolutionary ways is also the the case. So and uh, one criti criticism that he's he's had against this Netflix idea and this ga gaming, uh, the, the the growing of these uh, sedimentary lifestyles is that we develop uh, another body, mm -hmm. which uh, uh, yeah. Um, which is confronted with obesity, for example, right? So in this sense, he would uh, link up with this idea of, uh, so that, that also we should, uh, so for example, that, that in education, uh, yeah, physical education would be very important for Sarah. Mm -hmm. uh, so his book, Variations on the Body, opens with, with the quote, uh, to my gymnastic instructor, uh, instructors who taught me how to think. So it's not, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, so. So he didn't learn to think from his uh, mathematics teachers yes. or his uh, philosophy teachers, but yeah. from his yeah. gymnastic teachers. Yes, so, so for example, how we can imagine that is also like the goalkeeper, so that it is anticipating multiple, uh, futures so yeah. to say and we also learn to play together for example in uh, when learning gymnastics um, and also to refrain from violence when we're uh, when we're uh, doing yeah. sports for example and also about counting and about knowing to learn your body so and knowing how your body is structured so yeah, so that you did he say anything because uh, this all for me connects to martial arts as well, <laughs> uh, especially uh, while you have this with judo, but also I'm, I'm practicing Tai Chi and there one idea is also about, so you train, so when you, yeah, woke a form, you sh they say you should woke it like you're fighting with somebody, but you're, but you're not, but they also, so they're not, uh, they don't like competition in, uh -huh. in Tai Chi in the sense of they do have it, but uh -huh. or judo you have that as well. But it's the idea of you don't have a competition, but you're getting to know your body. But you're also um, it's very much about dealing with what comes at you and with the world and and remaining yeah. stable and. Yeah. Um, I did he yeah. did he write about martial arts? Uh, uh, this is so great about yeah. this philosopher. I can ask you: yeah. Did he write about <laughs> this and this? <laughs> not not uh, not explicitly. Not, not that I know of. But in his variations on the body, you have yeah. some some hints that you can that w yeah. So one way, for example, with yoga, for example, then so what what is learning? Yeah, so. Um, 
how can you learn with your body? And and one way of the thinking about this is that when doing sports or when doing Tai Chi, you are imitating. So, for example, with yoga, you are imitating a mountain, for yeah. example, or mountain a cow. Or animals, or yeah, 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 yeah. So, what this actually says is that. Yeah, so his book is called Variations on the Body. So what you learn by sports is variations, uh, yeah, knowing variations of being a body. So it's not one body, so it's actually more bodies that you develop when, when, uh, uh, when practicing, when training, for example. So, that, um, so this is against the, this deterministic idea so that the body can be guided yeah, so by the brain, for example, or yeah. by, uh, by an algorithm. Uh, what Sarah is actually uh, aiming at is that that there is not one deterministic body, but we, that we develop more, yeah, sort uh, yeah, uh, variations of of being a body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is all almost neglected in the philosophical tradition. So uh, then, then you because have just they, one. Yeah, yeah no, just one. Again, this idea of a one central yeah. organizing principle. Yeah. So so just to summarize a little bit to make sure I understand um, I, I mean I don't understand it but it's more <laughs> well these <laughs> yes. are fascinating yeah. ideas uh-huh. to to explore like one um, is that you you say that by listening by seeing this is not just something the body does or information that comes into the body and processes uh-huh. but this is actually one way in which the body is part of the body. Yes. And yeah. the other part is that we don't just have a single body. Yeah. But which is actually an idea I subscribe to as well. But I would see it slightly yeah. uh-huh. I don't know, differently. Uh-huh. But we have different bodies. Yeah. Because I, I personally, I would. No, let's stay with Sarah for yeah. a moment. So, so this is. So about his multiple bodies, it's uh, yeah. What he says is the body uh, more than that is that it is actual. It's virtual. The body we can think about. So he has this fascinating example with the hand. So so the hand has not only one function, but we can think of it as so we can we can play piano with the hand. We can we can uh, knock someone yeah. with the hand. Use uh, sign yeah. language. Yes, we use so. Um, there's play, no one play esports. Th- play esports, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, this is actually a good model to think about the body. So, so for example, when Darwin writes about the hand, so, so he 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 talks about one function that we can uh, we can do with the hand, right? But Sarah's actually no, it's one not one function. It's one of multiple. So it's f- the the function of the hand is rather virtual so it can do everything in, in, in potential and so it's it's about developing multiple yeah uh, uh, multiple variations uh, to do yeah so uh, to deal with our body yeah um, yeah so that is also um, um, but we can also do calculations with our body so for example when my daughter so she is seven year and she she counts with her fingers for yeah. example right so that's not only yeah uh, that we should uh, a hand is not only that's something that we should use for workmanship for example but we can also do complex calculations with our hands also weaving is an important concept in uh, so by using our hands for weaving then then there are a lot of multiple uh, yeah also uh, 
complex mathematical problems coming up when weaving, for example. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, in Tai Chi, the hands are very important actually uh-huh. because you. Um, while well you use your whole body, so they say in Tai Chi, you have two options, either the whole body is still or the whole body is moving and there's nothing in between. So for instance, if you push uh, somebody, then uh, I'm just showing like I, I sit still and I push, but in Tai Chi, I would actually stand, but I would go with the whole, it starts in the feet, but it's concentrated in the hands. So you wouldn't be e- even able to look at the hands in isolation. And the other part is that the hands respond. So if you catch a ball, it's completely intuitive. You don't think about, I'm now going to close my hands because this message takes too long to go from your brain to your hands. So it's not the brain that that tells the hand to catch the ball, but the hands respond. Yeah, yeah. So and this also very, uh, uh, yeah, links to Sarah in his... Le Sang Sans, or the five senses, where he talks about feeling, for example, that you feel at certain places with your body. So, for example, when kissing, then the uh, the consciousness resides in your in in your lips, for example, or when touching someone. So then, or being touched, for example, with a physiotherapist, then your consciousness is on your is on your back, for for example. So it's really. yeah, so it's not one central point. So the body, yeah, consists of consists of multiple bodies. So, uh, so to say that that we can, yeah, that we can develop uh, multiple layers. He, uh, he he calls it, and also he he de- devotes a central role to the skin. So developing a sensitive skin. Yeah, and that's yeah. So that would be an argument against <laughs> esports. So he he gets more sensitive. Thumbs, yeah, for example, very yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's not an uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not an all uh, all encompassing uh, argument. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, he, yeah, the, his work gives some hints uh, about how to think about uh, yeah, and modern trends in society. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your own relation to Sarah, because how well I don't really know how you. Uh, what was your entry point in, in his philosophy? Can you speak a little bit about your own background? Yeah. Yeah, so I was basically, I studied uh, philosophy and artificial intelligence. So, and I was basically, I wrote my master thesis about, yeah, philosophy of the brain. Uh, so for, yeah, so, and one of the conclusions of my, fe- of my thesis was that in order to understand the brain, then we should yeah uh, look more closely to how it is um, structures inside the body yeah so how we uh, so mostly what we what we see is that also in neuroscience they have basically a sort of cartesian model of the of the of the human body uh, so that that the brain is a kind of puppet player for the rest of the of the body right so everything has to pass our brain and uh, yeah, if we want to understand ourselves, then we have to look inside our brain. And you see that in a lot of research programs, this this idea happening. So, and I was really against it, also from philosophy. So, um, I read already Merleau-Ponty, for example. So, the philosopher, yeah, who also has a bit of uh, yeah uh, um, developed an idea of how we should. Uh, conceptualize the body so it's not only an object for a surgeon for example 
uh, or it's not, uh, but there's also, uh, the body is also so that we are and that we experience the whole time. Yeah, so it's not, it's not only an object, but also a subject. So yeah, so the, the body a, lift, a lift body and, and a physical body. Yeah, yeah, the physical body, so or the anatomical body, for example, yeah. and the felt body or the experienced body. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I want to I wanted so um, but Meliporty was already very popular also in embodied cognitive science. Um, so there were a lot of uh, people working on ideas that Meliporty one uh, had in 1940s. Uh, and he and I was interested in sports and I was also cycling uh, myself. So that is why I also try to. Um, use my own experiences for thinking about embodiment. Oh, that's fascinating. But that's when you didn't know Sarah yet. So you no, were th- at the time not in, on your bike uh, in a competition as well. Or yes. Yeah. 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 So, so can yeah. you describe what what? So you're on your bike in the competition. Yeah. What are you thinking about? That yeah. at the moment, or is it an analysis later? No, no. Actually, so when reading Merleau-Ponty, for example, or yeah. philosophy, then also these experiences that you have on the bike, you related to these ideas from the books that you've read. Yeah. So you. So how would Merleau-Ponty think about it? Can you <laughs> give an example? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, for example, for understanding the body, we also need to. So, well, well Merleau-Ponty's anal- analysis of of uh, uh, of the body and in, w- within a sportive context is that um, um, so when you when you train and when you're a skillful uh, yeah athlete, then you see more possibilities huh, for action. So then you see the then you feel the direction of the goal, for example, and you see the the gap between two defenders, so you for example. Already that idea of noise that you are able to see yes. small details that other people would not even yeah. be aware of. Yeah. So here in Merleau-Ponty, the body is a sort of bridge between, yeah, you and the world, right? So you can. Um, so when developing skills, it makes you more sensitive to the world in, in a certain way. But uh, almost absent in Merleau-Ponty is the, is the feeling of one's own body. So how so how do we feel pain, for example, or or uh, myself uh, myself uh, breathing, for example, which are very real experiences in sporting uh, contexts. And so uh, so I I saw some hints in Merleau-Ponty, but uh, but I think uh, but there are also a lot of questions that are unanswered there. And uh, so that's when I read in a philosophy of sports book this example of the goalkeeper of Sarah, and, uh, so that we uh, that we just uh, described, and I find it beautiful. So I, I tried to find more uh, works of him, and I said, uh, Michel Serre, body, I, I looked for it, and uh, yeah, and then I came to his work, The Five Senses, uh, Les Sanctions, and uh, yeah, he opens, yeah, he gave an interview to Bruno Latour. And there he says it very explicitly. So it's really about uh, this idea of the body in Merleau-Ponty that I wanted to criticize. Uh, yeah, so that's why, I'm, why I was interested. So in what ways are you criticizing Mer- Merleau-Ponty? How can we have a sort of ideas behind Merleau-Ponty, yeah. for example? That's yeah. one of the most amazing things huh? when you're 
So you're thinking about something, it's not just your work, like philosophy, you're thinking about it while you're cycling, yes. and, and you have this philosopher that kind of shows you some things, yeah. but you also think, well, he is, the, is at the limits, what do I do with it? And yeah. then you discover this person who spent so yeah. much, who actually wrote a book about it yeah. already. I mean, yeah. that's one of the joys, right? In, uh <laughs> yeah, it was very beautiful, but also very difficult. So yeah. it was very difficult to read, but also very beautifully written. So it was... At, at one time, at one hand, his work was very attractive, but on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, we uh, find it very annoying. Did you so read it in French? Uh, at last, so I first re read it in English. Yeah, yeah and uh, afterwards, so when I was reading Sarah a bit more, I. I had to learn f to read uh, yeah. to read French, so that uh, yeah. Afterwards, that's funny. I you you uh, you listened to the my episode with Peter Lemons, right? So he he said that he also when he started to read Heidegger, that's oh, yeah. when he started to learn German yes, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's uh, yeah. So there are a lot of so you you speak if you are in France, do people understand you, or no, do you no. have these complex Sarrarians? No, no normal. So when I. Uh, Go to the university there and speak, uh, chat with people there. So they they speak in French to me and I yeah. speak in English back. Uh, but yeah, that goes <laughs> very well. It's a bit of yeah the same themes that we are talking about. So it's very understandable for me if they speak in French because I've read. You have the I've same reference, yeah, even yeah. though you can speak the language. You Absolutely. have a passive, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that yeah. so that opened up something. Which uh, what what did what did he? Open, what did he answer at the time, that the question that you yeah. had? Yeah, uh, there were a lot of answers in this book, but one that strikes me the most was that uh, the, his last chapter in The Five Senses is about joy, mm -hmm. so about pleasure. So, and that you wouldn't read in, in I, I haven't read it in Merleau-Ponty, for example, so that, that yeah, uh, bodily experience go together with a certain kind of joy and also moving together for example that yeah. even moving makes us lighter in that sense so we our body feels lighter when we move so when things are going well um, so and that you see yeah and, and I read that when my daughter was growing up so she was two or three years old and I, I saw it with her so that she's jumping on the bed for example yeah, and, yeah. and yeah experiencing joy from that and also from running so she was this is also what Sarah says that you uh, first you learn how to run and then how to walk oh, right? that's so, so yeah, yeah that's how it is yeah yeah and then, and then we have to, uh, and then we learn how to walk, and then yeah. we have to motiv motivate ourselves to to, <laughs> to learn to run. Again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a yeah. So that's, uh, um, and I learned this also when I was uh, doing research to uh, with patients in psychiatry and also in medical contexts. And I found yeah, this is an important dimension of being a body. So this is very important. So. So some patients wouldn't, yeah, they feel disembodied because they can't experience joy, uh, yeah, joy anymore, yeah, mm -hmm. and so they're disconnected to their bodies, yeah. So, so that's uh, yeah, and also what you find always in Sarah is complex mathematical <laughs> thoughts. Uh, so. So it dealt me also a bit uh, to mathematics and because besides being a rugby player and uh, what else did we say? Uh, yeah, mountaineer. Mountaineer. And he uh, was yeah. also a math mathematician. Yes, and a sailor. <laughs> yeah, a mathematician. Yeah, um, yeah and also um, 
someone who studied uh, classical philology, so uh, he knows a, uh, yeah, how to not yeah. the philosophy, but how to interpret like the knowledge of yeah. philosophers, right? The study of philosophy. Yeah, but more like um, no, so yeah, more like classical langu uh, languages. So uh, yeah, and so uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and there's also a lot of mythology in his work. So I wasn't very familiar with this uh, in re yeah. In, f in philosophy, right? So there's a lot of uh, um, how to use mythology or biblical text for understanding something. Yeah. And that is also, uh, so that this can be a bit difficult because you really ha know what the passage of Homer was about. But he has also a lot of works about uh, fairy tales, about... Uh, uh, La Fontaine, for example. So then you have short fairy tales that he says, all right, so that this, that this is about noise. This is about how I think about noise. Uh, um, so that is, yeah, that was also very, yeah, that very much attracted me to uh, to his work more. And also that there was no single, single backbone to understand his work, but that it is more constructed as a kind of network, right? So it has all relationships to multiple things, uh, so multiple conte uh, concepts. And in every book you see, all right, so yeah, that I, re I read already in another book from him, but, but here he's taking another direction and, and finding, finding new ways of uh, thinking about link uh, linkages between mythical texts and philosophical texts, for example. But uh, yeah. does it have to do with... Um I'm. I'm. So I know Bernard Stiegler. I know him more. And he's also a French philosopher. Yeah. He also has many talents. He even was a bank robber. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, he he also paid attention to the body and the brain, like, uh, but how the brain uh, evolves in in connection with technology and how this uh, you know in early uh, human history this was kind of in sync because we had a lot of time to adapt to tools and everything but now it's different <laughs> so i see some links there but i also see a link that for instance in techniques and time um stiegler's uh, it's called the myth of uh, i don't something with prometheus so yeah, yeah. he also uses a myth and when philosophers do that so sometimes it's criticized for oh yeah but like a classical approach would be like Spinoza, like it's actually the mathematical approach, right? This is the first theorem. These are yes. my yeah. lemmas and everything. But I always have the feeling with these philosophers that they um, want to express something and they could say it directly, but they choose not to. Because if they would say it directly, somehow it wouldn't communicate. And uh -huh. uh, so instead they try to give you a kind of experience rather than so more like they're constructing and constructing a building that you can walk around in rather and then discover something which they want to show you rather than uh yeah what's the other like just showing you a path to walk or something um so that i wonder with with serb who is obviously so multi-talented and intelligent didn't he didn't he ever say, well, actually, I've been writing about all these different topics, but it all comes down to this? And now, yeah, yeah. Or is there, yeah, is there something about, it, it seems to have something to do also with communication and the yeah. role of philosophy yeah. that 
you sometimes the the way to say things as direct and simple as possible is not the way yeah. to do it sometimes yeah, you have to take yeah. a detour yeah you have to take a detour in, indeed and it is also in line with his uh, transversal uh, interdisciplinary method so there's no single there's no single uh, dictionary for example uh, to look for when we should understand uh, yeah uh, we should understand the body for example but there's a lot so not only look at the anatomical book but also how is the body used in mythology for example or in sports yeah, so th these are also important uh, yeah and also yeah, what kind of figures does can the body imitate? So, for example, then we also need to look at at mathematics, for example. So, what kind of parables can the body make, uh, for example? So that 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 is very important in 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 there that you see this kind of uh, linkage uh, linkages or threads between uh, disciplines that are supposedly far far uh, far from each, uh, yeah. each other. And so about mythology, he, he says, so there's only one mythology that there is, is that there's, that there can be a science without myths. So there, that science itself is a sort of way of, yeah. It's the mythology that doesn't recognize it's a mythology. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's very important for Sarah, uh, science, but it needs to be aware of its, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's say, uh, uh, yeah, ultimate generalistic sta uh, statements. Yeah, so that uh, that it can can claim can claim uh, a separate uh, knowledge about the world. So that that you can't find in other domains. So that's not the case for Sarah. So science opens up uh, threads to yeah. So also by using words, for example, then it picks also from other domains of knowledge to make things clear. And so so when observing or when doing science, then we are all already using uh, concepts from uh, yeah, from other domains. So for example, nowadays we are in a lot of sciences are uh, using concepts from the computer domain. Yeah. So about coding, for example, eh? so the, the DNA code, for example, eh? and it's also uh, and about working on our brain is like reprogramming our brain, right? So yeah, there, even in, in everyday language as well. Right? This yeah. is right. I, I did some study on on how people speak about pain, and they always use um, just because you referred to it earlier. They always use kind of metaphors to to speak yeah. about pain because yeah. it's one. Well, as Wittgenstein said, it's not you can't. I can show <laughs> you my pain. I always yeah. have to use words, and these words have to be shared while the pain is something I only feel. So it's always like the body as a mechanism or something that's broken or something that uh, like the signals are, or the wires are crossed or something yeah. like that. So mythology can also be really attentive. So if we say, all right, so there's also a bit of mythology in here. So that in the most, um, yeah, so to say, uh, recent projects, um, uh, recent techno-scientific project, there are a lot of archaic ideas uh, in, in this, for example, to... Uh, yeah. That's a great, yeah. great point, because that's kind of to, st to stick with uh, uh, the computer metaphor, it's like you're running new softwares, but you're still using uh, Windows 3.1. <laughs> so that's, I think this is one of the things that interdisciplinary philosophy can do, is because you have these kind of 
Right. Uh, Iris van der Tuin said it like that, mm-hmm. like thinking, or she uh-huh. had it from someone else, like thinking moves. Uh-huh. So for instance, uh, reasoning, you make certain moves, or what if this is like this is another move. And it's yeah. also, if you want to think about the brain or sports or yeah. health or something like that, it you kind of need to update your yeah. moves as well. Your yeah, so this is also... I think a bit of going back to this global intuition idea so that reasoning really should be performative or transformative in this. So it's really, so when we think about this, we should really situate ourselves different than than before in the world. So it's it's really also transforming ourselves uh, in in that way. And and that is why it also links to using your body, for example. So you have a different body when you trained, for example. Yeah, this is also his mathematical uh, background, so that he says is not a, we should think of mathematics not as something, as universal rules that we can then apply deductively, but it's more like mathematics as a sort of procedure, so or as a sort of recipe that gives some hints about knowing how to go on, but so it's not determined at all. So it's only helping us, yeah, uh, finding clues or finding letters for overcoming a certain problem but uh, but we sh- really shouldn't think of mathematics in a certain way as a sort of uh, uh, yeah as fast as uh, standard axioms that we can apply uh, yeah. to, and to certain the platonist like the ideal yeah. forms that are unchanging Absolutely. and once once we once we have discovered the mathematical principles of the yeah. universe, then from there we can uh, deduce yeah. everything. Yeah. So just to um, go back to your own story, because so you got into SER. Um, so how did you then, how this di- did this feed back into your work? Because you yeah. were studying at the time. You yeah, so yeah, yeah. Actually, I was, um, uh, I was writing a, a popular book on uh, on the bo- on philosophy and sports yeah. so and i really began with phenomenology so that was my so my link to f- uh, so yeah. what is a lived experience in sports and then i use merleau ponty and also this uh, dutch phenomenologist buitendijk for example to uh, to uh, understand that and they were really helpful in certain ways but also um, but I tried to develop these ideas more further because they were a bit of old-fashioned uh, as well and they were not dealing with our environmental issues, for example, or with technology. Uh, so that is why Sarah came in. And also I, I used also Peter Sloterdijk for understanding uh, this, but Sarah w- became then the main influence yeah. for, for the book. And the book is yeah. uh, in, uh, Wij zijn ons lichaam in yeah. Dutch and it really should be translated in English. <laughs> we are our be- body, if any... Publishers are listening to this. <laughs> yeah, so there will be a, a French translation of, okay, of, 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 of one of, of one chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so that's why I uh, came to know Sarah and I yeah. u- and I use it first as just one source, but later on it became the main source for d- yeah developing ideas about sports. Uh, and uh, afterwards, I I uh, yeah I had many interesting criticisms on my book or many interesting comments on my book so so that was really interesting yeah so uh, yeah people from the field of sports or from the field of neuroscience from physiotherapy they were really interested in what what yeah how they can use these ideas so that's why i uh 
uh, applied for uh, for a PhD tra- uh, trajectory on yeah basically on developing a sort of philosophy of sports movement and the body so how can we think those three together um, yeah and uh, and using Sarah as a main influence for that and also so another also bit of uh, trying to describe the differences with Merleau-Ponty for example we who is bit of influential in uh, philosophy of medicine but also in uh, physiotherapy and uh, uh, movement sciences there there you have the phenomenological approach to to these uh, yeah so in, in reaction to the mechanical approach but uh, i think yeah we should develop these ideas a bit, bit more further and self can Sarah can really help us w- with that and then you have to also in phenomenology that you have a really distinction between the lifts yeah so the, the the first person experience and the scientific approach to the human body for example yeah. uh, and this is not what you would find in Sarah he would always uh, look for links between these uh, these approaches and yeah and that, and that is I think I find this really helpful helping us so not um, reducing the body to for example activation patterns in the brain but taking these activation patterns as a starting point or thinking about experience and also really relating it to for example novels or uh, so that uh, so that we can find combinations between multiple disciplines for understanding a more fine-grained and more complex story of what the body is yeah uh, and this is what I try now to translate into sports science and uh, and uh, also uh, in, in the hospital. Yeah, so try to translate this to how to how can we use these concepts of health or of the yeah. body uh, in medical contexts. Yeah, so that. Uh, yeah. What, what what are some of the insights that you give? For instance, if you're speaking to physiotherapists or or doctors. Yeah. So with physiotherapists, I, will, I am busy with sor- sort of body images. So what are what are kind of images that we standard standardly have on the, on the body? And so one idea is that uh, you have this idea from Dick Swaps or from neuroscience is that the body is as uh, is structured by the brain. Yeah. So he wrote a book. Uh, it's uh, influential in Holland called "Wij zijn ons brein." We are our brain. Yeah. So of course it's not an accident. Your book was called "We are our body." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I tried to develop another perspective that it is more. Uh, that this is a Sarsian pr- perspective that the body is more more structured by the skin, for example. So how can we can we take the skin as a sort of organizing principle so that the and then the idea is that the body consists of multiple layers so there's not one central or organ but an organ itself is a layer in the body and all these layers communicate with with each other uh, through noise through signals um, and so Sarah is saying that yeah, there are multiple skins in the in the in this case, so multiple layers, yeah. right? Uh, and but and this makes also the body more sensitive, so that uh, yeah, we can feel our guts, for example, we can feel our own heartbeat that is communicating uh, through the body, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but but then also uh, it can also a bit of help to explain why. 
touching uh, is very important for example when uh, for example in a healing process yeah, yeah. and in the pandemic when when they spoke about like uh huid honger like yes. hun- hunger for the skin for a touch yeah yeah so so a lot of uh yeah yeah that was a lot of uh influential for uh, yeah yeah links with sarah yeah. uh, here yeah i think there's also a lot of uh, applications for medical education so the i think what i'm counting in my head because i'm working yeah. f- uh, de- some delay with the uh, episodes so one was with lara farpio about medical education and we also also spoke about how important interdisciplinarity is for medical education so obviously doctors learn like the medical uh, the bio medical model of th- of the body but it sounds like you're working like how we spoke about before to kind of upgrade the the metaphors and the idea and the mythology yeah. that we use into a more sophisticated mythology rather than um so there's one so there's one idea of the body that helps you design uh like a random randomized control trial and an experiment yeah. which uh, that requires a certain aspect of the body and this is great because that's how we can cure and prevent many uh-huh. kind of uh-huh. diseases but yeah. if you're sitting there as a physiotherapist and you have another person in front of you it's a different kind of situation and maybe you, yeah i've been thinking about this a lot but i don't have answers to it uh, rather than the phenomenological answer that you also have to pay attention to kind of the experience of the person and the person like what is so you have your instruments or your eyes and your hands as a doctor and your medical instruments but you also have the feeling of um like your intuition about hmm there's something off here or there yeah yeah i also yeah in my education uh, i always use also paintings and and also novels for getting idea what experience is what pain is for example um yeah and discuss these with the with the medical students and the physiotherapists, uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, what is c- uh, can learn us and, uh, and uh, hope to, yeah, uh, broaden this this vo- vocabulary, yeah, yeah. So this is very, yeah. So this is one uh, what you will find uh, multiple places in Sarah's work. So a lot of uh, very interesting links between exact sciences, natural sciences, and, and, and works of arts, for example, that they can really help to illuminate each other. And uh, yeah, that, that was what I find one of the most interesting things. So how can we think of information theory or entropies or dif- difficult concepts, uh, but, but we can also see it at work in, in, in artworks, for example, or in novels. Yeah, so that's, and that's, that these ideas are not very difficult, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. So Sarah, Sarah is always trying to describe, yeah, tries to describe them as that that everyone can follow them. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. That's. <laughs> so personally, I think I could have enough questions for two more hours, but the the meeting room we reserved is like finished in uh, in seven minutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what's a good way to and maybe there's is there something you want to ra- wrap up and and the last question I have is like where if people are interested in Sarah as I am because I haven't read anything written by him where where to start. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to wrap up, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things uh, um, 
um, we might have yeah. to speak in, in another episode again. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For maybe. Just, <laughs> just for now. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the, we started with this global intuition. Right. right. So that, 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 that I think that is one of the most central. Cont- uh, so it's a global intuition, but it's not the central organizing principle. No, yeah, no, it's, yeah, so it's. Yeah, it's it's being intuitive to multiple aspects of the world. So it's yeah, so it's opening up uh, different vocabularies. So if you're a doctor, uh, it's also important to read novels and visit the museum for your medical practice, not just as a hobby. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so uh, looking at uh, artworks, for example, looking at statues for yeah, yeah, getting idea of uh, what the body is. Yeah. Uh, and listening music as <laughs> as well in order to uh, to get an idea what pain is, for example. Yeah, um, yeah, and for yeah for starters, so there's one uh, work. Uh, um, so it's a bit of uh, it's a more like overzichtswerk. So it's uh, yeah overview. Yeah, overview of his work by Christopher Watkin. Right, and it's called Michel Serre Figures in Thought. And uh, yeah, that g- gives you a, a very good introduction and overview f- throughout his whole work. And he, he has read all his works because he has published more than 80 books. I, I, uh, s- I looked here. at this list. It's like uh, I first I thought uh, almost every year and sometimes two books per year. Yes. Yeah. So it just looks like he just started writing and he didn't stop. Yeah. So we talked about this internet generation and then he his book uh, Thumbelina. Um, that's about the internet generation. We talked about music and he has a book on music as well. So it's called Musique, Music. And The Five Senses was for, for me very, very influential. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in the phenomenology or the philosophy of the body, then you should really read The Five Senses. It's translated into to English. It's from 1985. Mm. Did he do any work on the climate? Uh, yes, ecology? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> didn't touch uh, <laughs> that, but yes, this is also this, uh, his book, The Natural Contract, from 1989. It's about uh, uh, environmental problems, and so he was very early with that already. Yeah. Maybe next time I can read, for instance, this book, and then we can speak about. Uh, yeah, would be great. A, s- yeah. a specific book, yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy uh, to do that. Yeah. yeah. So how you're uh, you are doing a PhD right now? Yes. Uh, are you doing other things that are related to that? Yeah, I'm. I'm doing a PhD on sports, philosophy of sports, and I'm. Yeah, I'm uh, researching. Uh, sports nowadays, so eth- ethics in sports. Uh, so, uh, and also I'm teaching at the uh, medical center in Amsterdam uh, uh, to medical students. Uh, yeah, ethics and philosophy, medical philosophy. And can people hire you or consult with you? Yeah, if absolutely. Want to know more about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure, <laughs> I'll be happy to get in contact uh, with you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Let's uh, get out of this aquarium. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. This is an independent educational podcast and I rely on your support to keep it going. It really helps if you subscribe, give it a rating and share it with your friends and enemies. Go to livefromplatoscave.com for more episodes and other ways to support.